Denise and I are thankful to be back with you today. We appreciate, of course, the opportunity for a vacation or sometimes other gospel meeting efforts and thankful that we can be back today. But let me also say that next Sunday, I'll be a part of a gospel meeting in Warren County, so a bit, bit of a drive from here. So we would again invite your prayers to be with us as we travel to and from that meeting on those various occasions. It begins next Sunday morning, proceeds through Wednesday night of next week, so the 10th through the 13th. And so the, the gentlemen have already taken care of making arrangements and plans for the other speakers and those to lead the services next Sunday. And always, always they do a superb job. We're thankful for all the talented men, certainly, who, who are here. Frogs for another night. Maybe you've been puzzled by the title of that lesson. But I hope that over the next few moments I can remove the puzzlement because there's a very real and a very genuine application of that idea. The lesson text is the one taken again from Exodus chapter 8. And I'd invite you to turn back to that location and in just a moment we will cast a spotlight on that and then develop a few applications from it. This opening slide is one that really is going to set the tale for much of our effort today. Isn't it interesting on occasion, as you can well tell, how there are some choices that people make. And maybe those choices are so terribly puzzling to you and me, we just can't understand why anybody would make that choice. It's hurtful, it's damaging, it doesn't lead anywhere good, and yet they make it. And maybe as you and I look from the outside in, we just can't understand why they made that choice. Maybe there are times in your life or mine, as we look back on it, we can't understand why did I choose that. Well, today's lesson is going to challenge all of us as we think about frogs for another night. There are some ongoing choices that people make. Some people, as you and I know, they choose to do drugs. Why would you ever do this? Harms your body, sometimes in irreparable ways. Others drink alcohol or they smoke cigarettes. And that does nothing but harm to the body. Why would you choose this? Well, those kind of things will set before us some interesting set of biblical considerations. Because as you'll see near the bottom of that slide, sometimes all of us find ourselves dealing with things and there's a solution available. There's an answer available and yet day after day we continue to deal with this matter when all we got to do is make application of the given solution. Why do we do these things? Well, this next slide is going to lead you back to Exodus chapter 8. Let me take just a moment. We'll not take a lot of time with it because it's probably a scene that you know very well. The children of Israel, of course, went into Egypt, but they went in in Genesis chapter 46 in a very peaceful way. After all, Joseph was one of the high-ranking officials, and he was going to take them to Goshen. And there they'd be protected and provided for. And sure enough, for a long time, they enjoyed a very, very prosper prosperous place to be. But Exodus 1 verse 8 tells us there did come a time when there arose a king that didn't know Joseph. And the Egyptians became fearful of the children of Israel. Their numbers had grown so much that the Egyptians feared in time of war the Israelites would side with the enemy and they'd be a formidable foe to be sure. And therefore they subjected them to slavery. They made these descendants of Abraham slaves 
to undergo various elements in rigor to take care of the matters of the Egyptian society. As you and I know, the people did cry to God. In Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25, they lifted up their voice to God and sought Him for delivery, and God heard their cries. In the very next chapter, through a burning bush, He talked to a man named Moses. And the message can be summarized in four words. Moses, you take this message to Pharaoh. Let my people go. God had heard their cries and He wished by way of that activity to bring them out. And so it was. As the book of Exodus unfolds before our very vision, you begin to notice what I've highlighted there. God brought a series of plagues on the Egyptians. One by one, these plagues were such that they were to not only let them know who the great power of heaven was, but a direct affront to the so-called gods of the Egyptians. Turning water to blood, frogs, lice, flies, the moraine of beasts, boils, hail locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. All of these one by one were brought on in such a way. And of course, in his wiser moments, Pharaoh understood that there was a higher power than his Egyptian magicians behind this. And so you'll notice at the bottom of that slide, I've listed them for us again. This morning's study will surround the frogs, the second of the bunch, now, what do we know about these? Again, if I could invite you to turn to Exodus chapter number 8. I'm going to simply read a few of the verses. Beginning in verse number 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs." God told Moses, you go before Pharaoh and again share with him the injunction, the admonition, let my people go and if you don't, I'm going to bring frogs on your land. Not only bringing them, but look at the next verse. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed and into the house of thy servants and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. Now the first plague had already come and gone, turning the water to blood. But now, this time, God says, Let my people go, and if you don't, I'm going to bring frogs. And there's not going to be just a few of them. The Nile River, in fact, all waters will bring them forth abundantly. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to come into your houses. There are going to be so many of them. They're going to be in your bed chambers. And they're even going to be in your bed with you. And not only that, in your kitchens. They're going to cover your countertops. And even in your ovens, you're going to have frogs. These frogs are going to come on your servants and on you. They're going to come everywhere. The land is going to be full of frogs. Now, when you and I reflect on the number of these frogs, you and I know a lot about frogs because we've seen them. They're slimy, and of course, they bring an element of nastiness in the sense that if you don't 
take care to, to make things clean, you wouldn't want frogs crawling around on your countertop. And you wouldn't want them in your oven and frying pan, and you wouldn't want them in your bed with you, I presume. And yet God told Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. Isn't it interesting in verse number 5? Let's see what happened. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams and over the rivers and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Can you imagine the inconvenience of this many frogs? The nuisance, the annoyance that must have been. No relief from them. They're everywhere. That brings us to the next observation because in verse 8, Pharaoh came to at least some element of his senses. It says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice unto the Lord. The text says that Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, Do something about these frogs. And did you notice he said, Call to the Lord. Pharaoh knew who sent them. He knew the source of these frogs. Now our lesson is going to surround the next couple of verses. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, verse 9, Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee in thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? After the Pharaoh had sent for Moses and he said, Entreat the Lord for me. Moses then asked this question, When should I entreat God on your behalf? When should I ask Him to get rid of these frogs? And this is what Pharaoh surprisingly said. Verse 10, And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. What? When Moses said, when should I ask God to get rid of these frogs? Pharaoh said, tomorrow. I think I'd have said, as soon as you can do it, I'd be, it'd be okay with me. The sooner the better, and yet Pharaoh said, tomorrow. May I suggest to you, Pharaoh put up with frogs one more night than he had to. Tomorrow. Why don't we study about frogs for another night? Here was a man who had the opportunity to ask for the removal of these frogs any time, and he had the gall to ask tomorrow. The foolishness of it. Isn't it true? There are times, again, as we mentioned earlier today, maybe in your life or mine, we're battling some problem, some matter, some issue tomorrow. Here are several applications of this. Because as you'll notice, when Pharaoh said tomorrow, he and all of his people put up with these frogs for yet another night. In the bed, in the ovens, in the various and sundry places the frogs were. Pharaoh could have asked for instant relief, but he didn't. The applications of this lesson are going to begin like this. What about these circumstances? These particular applications... Do you know of someone, maybe yourself or maybe someone that is close to you, and they're battling some particular sin? Maybe it's merely a bad habit. 
may I say, why put up with that one more day? Why do any of us put up with this one more day? We know what sin does. We know where it leads us. We know how God thinks about it. And yet we have the solution available to get rid of it. Why do we put up with it one more day? May I say, if we do so, we're as foolish as Pharaoh was. We're as short-sighted as he was. It starts like this. You and I know the attributes of life, such as James 1, verses 13 and following. We understand that when lust conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. There are activities, perhaps in your life or in mine, Maybe this thing's a sin, and we know it's a sin, but we keep on doing it. What possible good reason is there for attacking it that way? Why do we keep doing this? For some, maybe it's attendance at the night services. Have you already made plans to be here tonight and Wednesday night? Or have you already made plans not to be here? May I say, why would you do that? You know you're going to have to give an answer to God for it someday, and you know He's not going to be happy about it. He has said not to miss any services. Why would we, like Pharaoh, put up with another time of missing purposefully the services of the Lord's church? Or maybe it's another sin in life. Maybe you use language you know you shouldn't use, but you do it anyway. You know there's a power available from God to help overcome that. And you know that it's accessible. Pharaoh had access through Moses to get rid of those frogs instantly, but he didn't do it. You and I can overcome any of the sins that we face, but we sometimes just keep putting up with them. Let's add to that the following observation. Isn't it interesting in Psalm 119 verse 133, as well as Romans 6 verse 12, we're given this admonition, let not sin reign in your mortal body. We've got the power through the nature of the teaching of the Bible to overcome anything that would be displeasing to God. Why would we continue to put up with it? Just like the Pharaoh put up with frogs for another night, sometimes we keep putting up with these things. May I say death's going to come at some point or Jesus is going to come back and will we be ready? One final thing in that opening observation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. So we know that whatever we face, it is something we can tackle. It's something we can overwhelm. May I say the frogs for another night reminds us whatever the sin may be in your life or mine, or maybe it's just a bad habit, we need to start getting rid of it now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait until next Sunday or next month or next year. Do it now. What about the second lesson? Not only with regard to these sins or these bad habits, guilt. You know, God has made us as human creatures with a conscience with a degree of understanding. And there are times when maybe events long in the past in our life still hang over us like a dark cloud, filling our life with guilt and filling our life with a sense of inadequacy and insufficiency. 
it's fair to say that the activities of our former life may have consequences that we surely will be called on to realize for many, many points in life. But don't you know God forgives? This is how you deal with guilt. There's no doubt guilt can be very weighty. I would call your attention to Proverbs 12, 25 when it reminds us how even a person's health can suffer because of guilt. Aren't you thankful that in the Bible there's a way to deal with guilt? It's to have it forgiven. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. That won't get rid of it. But when you and I appreciate this, Psalm 103 verse number 12 says, God is able to remove our sins in terms of guilt from us as far as the west is from the east. That's a long way. God's able to forgive, you see, and when He forgives, no longer will we have to answer by way of guilt for that which we've done. I'm thankful for the Bible's teaching on forgiveness. What about you? One last thing in that observation. Aren't you impressed with Hebrews 9, 14, when it says the blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse the conscience? Now notice He didn't say merely to cover it up, because that doesn't get rid of it, but He cleanses it purifies it. Aren't you at this point interested? Pharaoh chose to deal with frogs another night when he didn't have to. Sometimes you and I continue to deal with guilt day after day and week after week and month after month when we don't need to. Jesus can forgive it and that guilt can be removed. What about a third application? Lost. This one probably came to your mind first. I keep saying it. Pharaoh dealt with the frogs another night when he didn't have to. There are people in the sound of my voice that need to obey the gospel. And you know what you need to do, but you haven't done it. Why? Pharaoh chose to deal with frogs another day. There are individuals in our world, not just here, but yeah, in many places, and they're lost, and yet they choose to try to wait till another day. What's going to happen if you die first? Well, we know what'll happen, but there won't be anything you can do about it then. Why not obey the gospel when you have the opportunity? Why not today? After all, Pharaoh tried to wait till tomorrow. You and I know how sweetly the Bible message is presented, and we prayed about it a moment ago. We even sang about it. God looked over His human creation and saw you and I, those in Romans 3.23, who all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that sin separates us from Him. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and following. But isn't it true, as you notice on that slide? Oh, how tragedy sin brings. It leads to an unhappy life. It leads to an unfulfilled life. It leads to an unsatisfying life. Because the greatest need humans have is connection to God. And sin does just the opposite. And isn't it amazing? In its final destination, that sin leads us to hell. I've listed a whole host of verses for your consideration. Why would we deal with that another day if we don't have to? Frogs for another night? Why would we stay lost if we don't have to? 
in the spring of A.D. 30, a man named Jesus, who was the Son of God, was nailed to a cross. And He was nailed there for me and for you so that we might avail ourselves of His blood and be forgiven and be right with God and be saved. We don't have to stay lost. If we do, it's our choice. Aren't you thankful for that invitation that the Bible extends? This third point about being lost, Pharaoh chose tomorrow. There are still individuals who say, I'm going to obey the gospel next Sunday. I'm going to wait until there's a different set of people in the audience. I'm going to wait for this other set of circumstances. Don't you realize that's the devil trying to get you to wait? He succeeded in getting Pharaoh to wait another day. But you know, another day might not come. Another thing might not in fact happen that way. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Today is the day of salvation. For that reason, look at the reason Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost, He said in Luke 19.10. One final thought on that particular slide. Aren't you impressed with that question of Romans 10.16? They've not all obeyed the gospel, and even Paul was beside himself. Why would they choose this? That question has not changed in the slightest. Lesson number four is this one. One by one, as we ask, what about fear? You know, there are still individuals who choose to live in fear. They don't have to, but they choose to. I have a particular fear in mind. It's the fear of death. You know, there's a lot of people who are terrified at death. They don't like to talk about death. They don't ever want to go to a funeral home. You may know of people who are so terrified at the thought of death, they want to have nothing to do with that subject or topic. I might say death may not be the most lovely conversation topic, but for the Christian there is no reason to fear it. Absolutely none. Death is nothing but a thoroughfare, a channel that leads us from this life to a better one. Didn't Paul say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Philippians 1, 20 and 21. Did he not say that I would rather depart and be with Christ, but... It was needful for him to stay and to work with the church in Philippi. Maybe it's fair to say, living with fear is something a lot of people choose to do day after day, terrified at the thought of death when there is a solution available. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. The Lord has the way to deal with fear. Aren't we taught in 1 John 4, verses 16 and following, that perfect love casts out fear? If we've got a life filled with the love of God, and our love for Him is such that it leads us in obedience, that love casts out fear. We have no reason to fear death or the day of judgment. And yet, wouldn't it be tragic to think we choose to live with the frogs and fear another day? Why would we do that? As you can see, these are some pretty good questions. What about number five? A life of purpose. 
I suppose all of us at the deepest part of our being, we appreciate the need for a life of purpose. We want our life to mean something, to have an influence, to in fact have a legacy, if you please. And yet, you and I are taught in the Bible how that can happen. Why would I choose to live a life without purpose? A life without direction. A life without a sense of constant and ongoing significance. You and I know that when our life in this flesh is finished, what's after it is going to be far longer and far greater. And that's the reason to be significant. Didn't Jesus say, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. The Lord reminded us then, our life here has the purpose, if rightly governed, of making preparation for what's hereafter. Why would I choose then to live a life of directionless, a life without that characteristic sense of purpose? All of these things bring me to ask the following question, and it's the conclusion of the sermon. Pharaoh chose to live with the frogs another day. Why would any of us, why would anybody in his or her right mind choose in these examples to continue with sins and bad habits when I don't have to? To continue living in guilt when I don't have to? To continue to be lost when I don't have to? To continue to live with fear when it's not necessary? to continue to live a life of purposelessness. Pharaoh is a good example of what not to do in this case. He chose to live with the frogs another night. As annoying, as inconvenient, perhaps even hurtful and dangerous as that was, he chose to stay with them one more day. Maybe somebody in this audience is living in fear, fear of death living with guilt over perhaps things that have happened in the past, and you're continuing to live in that way, don't you want relief? Pharaoh apparently didn't want the relief bad enough to ask for it immediately, but don't you want relief from guilt or from fear? Or perhaps the highest consideration of all, don't you want to be free from being lost? Don't you want to be saved? You don't have to wait till tomorrow. It can happen today. Today is the day of salvation in the words of 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. And as the Lord's invitation is extended, we're going to do the same. If you're an alien sinner, one's never obeyed the gospel, you realize you don't have to wait till tomorrow. You need to believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And we would, in fact, assist in making sure that those things are taken care of. And we'll wrap our arms of encouragement and love around you. And greater than that, Jesus will be a blessing to your life, an untold proportion. If you have become a Christian, though, and maybe you're dealing with some of these things because you have fallen back into a life of guilt or fear, or maybe a life in which you've lost sight of the purpose of it, you don't have to wait till tomorrow. Today. Pharaoh should have asked today for the frogs to be gone. And 
In a minute, we're going to stand and sing this song. And if we could pray to God for you, you've got to repent and confess these errors or sins, and we'll approach God on your behalf, and He's promised to forgive you. And you won't have to live with this fear or this regret anymore. If anybody would wish to come, let there be no frogs for another night. But let's answer the Lord's call today. While together we stand and while we sing.